Hey everybody, so before we jump into today's podcast, I just wanted to A, thank you guys, give you a little bit of a reminder. If you enjoy this content, however you're watching it, consuming it, please like, follow, subscribe, whatever you gotta do, comment on it if you can. Leave us a review, it really helps us out and it can help grow our platform and reach more people. And if you know someone that can benefit from this, please share it with them. If you have a question, if you wanna reach out to us, let us know. And then lastly, we have all of our amazing programs, courses, and coaching available in the resources below. So check that out, definitely take advantage of it. We have everything from free options all the way up to paid programs and everything in between to fit pretty much anyone's budget. And it's just a matter of how customized it's going to be based on the price point. So there's really something for everybody. Thank you guys. Let's get on into the episode. Yeah, fighters. What's up, everybody? It's Mike here. Episode 153 of the Life of a Fighter podcast. And today's question or topic that we're going to be talking about is how can athletes improve force production? Before we go into all that fun stuff, um, just have some fun announcements, shout outs and good stuff before we get into it. First and foremost, I'm really excited. Our Fitness Nutrition Vault membership um, has been constantly being added some awesome content, as you guys may have noticed, because of the most recent um, couple months and decisions I've made for 2019. One of the big goals is to have, pass, take the exam in April um, for my CSCS, the Certified Strength Conditioning Specialty, with the NSCA, the National Strength Conditioning Association, which is pretty much the gold standard for um, – strength conditioning coaches and professional coaches working with high-level athletes or really anyone across the board. And the reason I haven't gotten it at this point, I actually have a CSCS certification through the ISSA, the International Sports Science Association. So I've technically had this quote-unquote title, um, but really getting the the title and the CSCS and having those letters behind your name through the NSCA is the gold standard. So that's why I wanted to do that. I got my bachelor's degree in 2016 and then we, Ash and I got married. We went to Thailand. I was working as a strength coach and fighting out there in Thailand. So I wanted to really ingrain myself into that experience and focus on it. And then I realized once I got back to the States and we had our, our baby Lena, now I have a kind of a little bit better schedule and layout on what's going to be happening. I figured now's the time to take it and start to continuously just expand. You know, Life of a Fighter has been constantly growing and I appreciate all the support out there, guys. Um, 2018, we won. Um, most innovative health and fitness brand. And for 2019, we won uh, the best health and fitness um, coaching program in the United States. Both of those titles were for the United States from Luxury Life Magazine. So thank you to them. Um, they're owned by AI Global Media, which is a much larger media company and reaching well over 100,000 people. Or I think it was like I want to say 187,000 people on their now subscription. So really excited to reach all those people. And I, I'm, again, getting the the boost from that. I'm seeing all the outreach and questions and new signups. So I wanted to just kind of take this as an opportunity and saying the Fitness Nutrition Vault access is the way to go for all of y'all that haven't been to the website yet or just really finding us out because we have private content up there that you're not going to get access to as the a regular public member or a free member. And we also have our pro coach program, which is just another level up where you get a little bit more personalized attention, a little bit more programming, a little bit more direction. Um, but the fitness nutrition vault's a great place to start. And if you guys have any questions on that, feel free to reach out and also be sure to check out lofclothing.com. We have our clothing lineup and our, um, I fight cancer. What's your fight clothing line has been doing really good. I'm excited because we're donating the proceeds of that to our, um, non-for-profit kind of area and, and focus for the new year. And um, 
we're donating to the Cancer Society of America. Um, it's really important to me personally and to, to my family because of uh, some personal experiences we have with my stepmom, with my, my grandparents, and with just family members I've had and personal friends and just people around me. Cancer affects everybody. We all know that. So I think it's important for us to all just kind of contribute to that. So I'm really excited about that. Without further ado, let's jump right on into today's podcast because as you all know, I like to ramble a little bit, but hopefully it's helpful information and it's related to what we're talking about. So again, so with all this great content and all these new topics, a lot of them I'm pulling from my textbook, The Essentials of Strength Training and Conditioning, um, edition four for the NSCA. And again, I'm not pulling word for word. I'm, I'm really kind of using graphics and references and certain things like certain definitions. I'm actually pulling word for word because I think it's important for you all to hear it. But again, it's, I'm paraphrasing and interpreting that information so you guys can hopefully get it and it makes sense. Um, and it's actually, I find it beneficial for me from a studying perspective because anytime you have to re-explain something, it really re-ingrains it in your brain and make sure you have a good understanding on it. Anyways, so again, going back to the idea of athletes improving force production. And this really isn't just for athletes. Ideally, we think of athletes for increasing force production for performance standards, but really anyone in the gym that wants to get stronger, improve their power, this is going to be something that's going to be very helpful for you. Um, So the first thing we're talking about, we kind of have three main bullet points and then some details we're going to dive into. The first main bullet point is... To help improve force production, we're going to incorporate phases of training that use heavier loads in order to optimize neural recruitment. So one thing that we know in the body and physiologically and neurologically is that the heavier the load, the more weight that we use, the more resistance that we use for exercise and activity, the more neurological recruitment is going to happen in that area. So not only can we lift heavier weight, but ideally, and we're going to see this um, in the, another bullet point, so we'll kind of fuse it in right now, perform multi-muscle, multi-joint exercise that can be done with more explosive actions to optimize fast twitch muscle recruitment. So here's the balancing act. So we want heavier loads. But we also want multi-exercise and multi-joint movements. Let's just talk about that phase of it for a second. Then we'll talk about the explosive actions to optimize fast, which that's where we might be using actually lighter loads, which is kind of contradictory to these two combinations. So I'm going to break it up into two parts. First part is heavier loads, multi-muscle, multi-joint. So meaning we're not just doing bicep curls with 100 pounds. That's not going to be optimal neurological recruitment or actual hypertrophy or muscle damage to increase growth thereafter. So what we're going to look to do so we're going to look to use multi-joint exercise. So when we talk about multi-joint, what that means is multi-muscle is multiple joints throughout the body. So if we look at our ankle joint, knee joint, hip joint, shoulder joint, so on and so forth, or even our vertebral joints or um, that spine area, we want to get multiple joints involved. So we want to have a hip hinge. We want to have ideally some kind of um, knee flexion or knee isometric stabilization happening or something, multiple joints going, whether it's the wrist, the elbow, the shoulder, the hip, the knee, the ankle, or ideally all of those. So especially when we talk about a deadlift, think about a deadlift for a second. We have our ankle joint, we have our knee joint, we have our hip joint, we have our shoulder joint that are all actively working. And then we have our elbow and, and wrist joints that are kind of stabilizing and working as well. So really all the joints going through our body are working there. Um, a squat's another good one. And we have variations from bench press, of pull-ups, of bent-over rows. All of these are really good examples of multi-joint compound lifts. And actually, we have some other articles. And again, going back to our Fitness Nutrition Vault, um, if you have our Fitness Nutrition Vault, you can go to our workout plan section, and you can actually see workouts that are uh, multi-joint compound lifts. And then for those that are non, you can still search down our website, but it's going to cut off um, the article. So you're not going to see all of it. You, you have to have the Fitness Nutrition Vault access to be able to see the full content. But we got a bunch of great content still very helpful so i'll link to that below as well 
So again, for these heavier loads, when we're using heavier weight too, we can't just use our heavier weight and then expect to do the same kinds of reps that we would use with lighter weight. So we're not going to use two sets of 12. Um, and let's say we're using, uh, let's say 45 pounds on a single leg Romanian deadlift or a straight leg Romanian deadlift for those two by 12 versus we're going to do three or four by 10 or, th- or five by five. Meaning in the first, so when we say three by 10, what I mean by that is that's three sets of 10 reps. So that means we're going to do 10 repetitions, take a period of rest and repeat that for three cycles. That's what th- a number by a number means. So three by 10, the first number is always going to be the sets. The second number is always going to be the reps rest and then ideally we're gonna i mean um reps and then ideally we're gonna have a rest period after that so three by ten with a one minute rest or something along those lines so again the heavier loads more weight more neurological recruitment the more muscles we can use and the more joints and and areas of the body we can use again the more um optimization of that neural recruitment Second bullet point, increasing the cross-sectional area of muscles involved in the desired activity. So when we look at this is uh, can get really, really deep, so I'm going to try and keep it as understandable and layman as possible, and even from my understanding of it, um, when we look at the cross-sectional area of a muscle fiber, so there's different points in a muscle fiber. When we look at it where it breaks down, we have longitudinal sections, cross-sections, and this cross-section area is where we're going to get a lot of um, – growth and ability to perform with more strength and output when you do it right. And again, going back to that, that first bullet point with the heavier loads. So um, hypertrophy is associated with cross-sectional areas of muscles. So when we talk about hypertrophy, there's actually certain sets and reps associated with that that'll build. So, so usually three sets of 10, four sets of eight, somewhere in that range is usually going to be attributed to hypertrophy. And that again, hypertrophy is going to be associated to the cross-sectional area strength increase. Now, when we're talking about longitudinal strains, there, that's going to be hyperplasia. That's kind of a different topic, but they're somewhat related because it's still muscle breakdown into muscle growth. Um, but for, again, cross-sectional, we're talking about hypertrophy. So we want very specific sets and reps working this way. Then three by 10 or four by eight. And then for heavier loads, usually heavier loads aren't going to be in that same rep range of three by 10 because doing 10 reps with a heavy, heavy load is not necessarily going to be feasible depending on what we're considering a heavier load. But if it's heavier than our two by 12, then we're going to see that benefit. But really, I've seen three by five, um, four by five, five by five, even 10 by fives be a very effective um, and, and kind of referenced for heavier loads for neurological recruitment and force production, especially as long as we can keep the speed. A big point here in force production and then we talk about or is being talked about in this chapter that reference it is the difference between strength and power. And the idea of in power lifting, it's more about strength. It doesn't matter how quickly necessarily the bar is moving. You're just trying to maximize the amount of weight. So if you go to like the Arnold Classic, for example, or watch a, a strongman competition, Competition. Some of those movements may not be very fast. They may be lifting a thousand pounds, but it may not be extremely fast. So the force production may not be as equivalently great comparatively if you could use um, maybe 600 or 700 pounds, but the speed at which you're able to move it is drastically greater. That would be actually, believe it or not, a greater force production. And that was where we see more of an impact for athletes. Again, that's why we're talking about for athletes or for athletic performance, because very few sports are going to require a heavy amount of weight to be moved slowly. Most sports are going to require to have weight or um, resistance to be able to move at a fast pace and explosively. Unless, again, we're talking about endurance like marathon, triathlon, any kind of long distance endurance activity. And that's usually not going to be associated with any kind of heavy resistance at all. It's going to be minimal resistance at all, usually gravity, by the way. Um, 
so yeah, um, that that's just kind of like to give you an, an understanding there of the, the bullet points and then how we're going to look at the force production and strength versus power. So again, for the power side of it, we still want speed associated with this. We can't have it be slow. And that's where the third bullet point talks about um, not just multi-joint compound multi-muscle exercises, but also using explosive actions and speed. That's where the plyometrics can come into play. So whether we're talking about a medicine ball slam or uh, a depth jump or um, variations of different types of uh, med ball presses and passes and um, other variations or vertical jumps, those types of quick explosive movements that – Ideally, maybe we can still have resistance to it, but it has to be the right resistance. So it's not going to drastically increase injury, but also fit into the adaptation plans and what we're trying to create as far as the force production. So we, again, we want the neurological recruitment, but we also want hypertrophy there. And again, the idea of hypertrophy, the muscle tissue breakdown is the cross-sectional area increasing when we have hypertrophy. So that's the benefit there. All right, so that's kind of the basic bullet points of it. Now what I thought would be fun is referencing a couple other tables and looking at some areas of either characteristics of muscle fiber types, but more specifically, the um, breakdown of the muscle fiber types that are going to be in different sports. Because again, when we look at muscle fiber types, for those that are un unaware or maybe unfamiliar with that term or concept, there's two basic muscle fiber types. There's type 1 and type 2. Type 1 would be our slow twitch muscle fiber type and that's going to be associated with mostly aerobic capabilities and endurance and is typically going to, again, think about um, marathons or triathlons, any kind of endurance, long distance capabilities that's usually going to be more than two minutes because what ends up happening in our aerobic system kicks over and produces energy because our ATP, our glycolytic system and our phosphosis, our phosphagen system, those cannot produce enough energy long enough to sustain that. So they can produce energy and they're really good at producing energy, but making energy available for anywhere from 15 seconds to maybe about 90 seconds. And then after that window, that's where that entire system, the production of ATP starts to run out, our storages of ATP run out, and our body can't keep up with the pace. So usually what ends up happening is if you're burning through ATP like that, A, your body will slow down, you can't maintain that pace, and then your body will switch over to the aerobic system and capabilities to produce energy, and then you'll kind of switch over your system. So again, let's Let's look at some of those areas where type one may be high. So whether we're talking about an 800 meter run, talking about our marathon, um, we're talking about any kind of triathlon, our soccer, lacrosse, hockey, boxing, wrestling, uh, cross country skiing, biathlon, tennis, downhill skiing, slalom skiing, speed skating, rowing, and distance cycling are just some examples that we have on our chart. Now that doesn't mean that's only type one. Most of these that I mentioned are going to be a hybrid of type one and type two. And when we talk about type two, again, that's that fast twitch. It's using the quick energy, but again, it runs out quicker. And then when you get into type two, there's actually two different types of type two muscle fiber. There's type two A and type two, what was formerly known as B or what I knew it as B now referenced as X in these books. So type 2A is going to be a little bit more of a hybrid muscle fiber type that can be efficient at, yes, having production of force, but also having some aerobic capabilities there. It can go aerobically a little bit longer. So it's a good muscle fiber type to work on that, that I've worked on with athletes and that we're going to continuously develop on optimizing the ability to be aerobically capable, but also being able to output force production and understanding the limitations of that, understanding how much energy we can really draw upon from ATP before we do fully switch over to aerobic capabilities. Um, and then what's interesting about the aerobic capabilities is when we, and this is how I look at it, when I think it's important to periodize and, and program out, especially for combat athletes or depending on what your sport is. When we're looking at 
aerobic activity and type 1 muscle fibers, that's going to increase mitochondria in the cells. Now, here's the interesting thing. I actually have to do a little bit more research on seeing the sustainability of that mitochondria increase for those cells. So for example, if we run for two, three, four weeks, we build a program challenging ourselves aerobically, running 20, 30 minutes, laying that aerobic foundation, the mitochondria per cell is going to increase. And the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, the energy production area of the cell. So that's going to, again, optimize just the whole process of energy production, what's happening there. Now, can we keep that increased mitochondria, even if we're not running the same, and then saying, okay, now we're going to work type 2 muscle fibers and transition to the next phase of training camp or a program where we're maybe going to say, all right, let me try and get stronger while simultaneously keeping that mitochondria and energy production, and then we get the best of both worlds. All right, so again, I don't want to go into too many tangents here. Actually, Lena just woke up from her nap, so we're going to try and keep it working, but you might break this up into two parts. So now let's talk about type two. So some exercise and activities you're going to look for type two, whether it's A or B or both. It's the 100 meter sprint, the 800 meter run, the Olympic lifting. Again, that's again speed, not power lifting, Olympic weightlifting, where it's got to be speed and very explosive and fast. Still soccer, lacrosse and hockey. So those soccer, lacrosse, hockey, those are going to be type one and type two heavy as you need a hybrid of both. And again, that's also going to vary based on the position you play for both all those sports. Um, Football wide receiver, very high type two. Football lineman, very high type two. And again, both of those are going to be low on type one. Volleyball, high type two. Um, baseball and softball, again, high type two. Boxing, wrestling, 50-meter swim, um, all field events, tennis, downhill skiing and slalom skiing, speed skating, track cycling, and rowing. Again, that's just some of them. There's many more we could go into. There's hundreds of different sports, right? So there's different events that we could name, but that's a good representation of what each um, one can kind of give you an idea of. And again, I think I'm going to break it up into two because there's a lot more details we can get into here. But Going back to the main key points, especially for increasing force production for athletes, we're going to make sure that we're using heavy loads to increase that neurological recruitment and stimulation. And then we're going to make sure that we're using multi-joint, multi-muscle exercises. So again, we're optimizing the recruitment process and the force production. And specifically, we're going to use that not only with heavier loads, but also very explosive and fast. So we find that balance. We're going to implement hypertrophy training to get that increased cross-sectional area of the muscles involved in the desired activity. And again, hypertrophy is going to help increase our cross-sectional area and strength. All right, y'all, that's it for our how can athletes improve force production if you guys want to hear more about it let me know reach out shoot us a message here also again fitness nutrition vault access is up we're going to have a lifetime membership access sale coming soon so keep your eyes peeled for that and yeah y'all appreciate you thanks for the support please like and share if you appreciate what we're doing like it and share it on social media um give us a review give us a rating on however you're listening to us because it helps us just reach more people and keep this going so i appreciate it and as always Keep being awesome, fighters. Peace. So I just wanted to say thank you guys again for watching, listening, consuming that episode. If you guys enjoyed it and you haven't already, please like, uh, please comment. If you haven't reviewed, please leave a review. If you haven't followed or subscribed, please do that as well. Again, it tremendously helps us out. And then just a quick reminder, if you guys want more resources, we have them below. We have our 
programs, everything from free all the way up to paid and kind of everything in between. Dial in with the customization and we have more information on different programs and resources in our newsletter. So if you haven't signed up for that, do so below. It's free. And that is it, y'all. See you on the next one.